It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and each episode I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. Uh, this is a very special episode. It's the one-year anniversary of the podcast, and I have here with me uh, AV Cup columnist Caroline Sita. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on for this uh, special anniversary episode, and congrats yeah. to you on that milestone. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's um, yeah, it's been quite a ride doing this like uh, doing this podcast. But I have to say, it's partially inspired by you because your column on romantic comedies when romance met comedy was like it's, like it's still one of my favorite columns. I like look for it every couple of weeks when it comes out, and like I decided to do this podcast because I was just very inspired by you taking romantic comedies seriously and doing like all the research you do and the analysis. It's a really great column, so I really appreciate that you took your time to um, come on this podcast and chat with me about one of your favorite romantic comedies. Yeah, of course. Thank you for for reading. I always love you know spreading and inspiring the rom com love. So I'm happy that this podcast, you know, I had a small part in that. Yeah, so would you like to introduce the film that you've chosen for this episode? Yes, so the film I've chosen is the 1998 film The Wedding Singer, starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, which is my all-time favorite romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie, one that I've seen, like, so many times. It's, like, one of those that was, like, on, like, TNT, Mm -hmm. TBS, you know, ABC Family, back when it was called that all the time and like I just like it's one of those romantic comedies that just was like one of the first that I remember watching being like okay this is like really good (laughs) you know and it's like and even like watching it like as an adult I've really have come to appreciate a lot of its like themes and ideas and stuff that I didn't even notice from you know when I was you know seven or eight uh, Mm -hmm. when it came out do you remember the first time you saw it and like how has it become one of your favorites over the years yeah it's I was actually trying to remember if I could recall the first time I saw it but I think like you this was a movie I just watched in bits and pieces on tv just constantly growing up I think I had some cousins that were just very into Adam Sandler in general so it was sort of part of that but then I had you know this sort of love of rom- rom-coms and romance movies, so it fit into that category. So it was just sort of constantly on. And then I think another factor of me getting really into it was that there was a Broadway musical version that they did of it in yeah. the early 2000s, which I love. I think that is such a great musical, such a great adaptation of the movie. And so that musical really kept it alive for me as well, because every time I would listen to that cast recording, you know, it would just bring it up. Um, so yeah, I don't even know. I own this movie on DVD, so I guess I bought it at some point, but it just feels like it's sort of continually been a part of my life kind of forever. So a lot of like nostalgic love, uh, connected to it as well as like genuinely thinking it's a very well done movie. 
Yeah. And like for me, yeah, Adam Sandler, like he was not really someone that I was like a fan of as a kid. I mean, I've, I've always kind of liked him, but he was like uh, movies like Happy Madison and um, what's, what's the other one? B- Happy, no, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Yes. Easy to mix up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like those are movies that like I watched as a kid, but like I didn't really love them. But I think this was like the first one that I was like, okay, like he's actually a really good actor, an interesting actor, and I I think it's partially because, like, this movie is, like, much more romantic than most of his other movies, except for, like, the two other ones that he did with Drew Barrymore, and, of course, you know, Punch Truck Love, which is, like, mm-hmm. another excellent, you know, romantic comedy with him. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was wondering if you have any, like, like, what are your thoughts on Adam Sandler in general, and, like, now his, like, his career is kind of having a resurgence, you know, with yeah. Gems, but I feel like it might go back to his usual kind of movies very quickly. Yeah. I really feel like particularly actually writing the column on wedding singer really made me think about Adam Sandler. Like, I think he's an easy person to take for granted, particularly if like me, I was kind of like a child of the nineties. Like I said, it sort of felt like he was just, you know, omnipresent. So I don't know if I really, I don't know, thought about him much, but in, in researching The Wedding Singer and how that film was made and looking at his filmography as a whole, it just really gave me this appreciation for both for the times he breaks out of his usual mold and does something unusual and for the even sort of for when he's very much operating in his mold as well, um, sort of his like broad body comedies that are not always my thing. Yeah. But I think I've like, I don't know, gained an appreciation for that as well. There's this really great piece on Vulture at the end of last year, um, written by Jesse David Fox, where he ranked every single Adam Sandler movie sort of based on how good they were, but more specifically based on how they, how good they were as a quote unquote Adam Sandler movie, like as articulating his, you know, Adam Sandler's movie philosophy. It was such an interesting way to look at his career. And that article also really, I don't know, pushed me over into a very pro Adam Sandler column. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I, if anybody, you know, wants, even if you, if you like Adam Sandler and want to learn more, or you just like want to have your opinions challenged, that article was, I don't know, it was a really interesting look at sort of how much he values like loyalty among his collaborators, that he like works with the same people a lot of times. And I don't know, things that, that sometimes he gets knocked for, like, working with his friends yeah. or and being quote unquote lazy. There's a way to recontextualize that as like having loyalty to his friends and like prioritizing this work-life balance, which I actually think so many of those themes are in the wedding singer. And this piece sort of said the wedding singer, it, it, the wedding singer ranked fairly high on this piece. And it does feel like this movie solidifies a lot of Adam Sandler's like comedic persona, but also maybe his real world philosophy as well. I don't know. That was a that was like a Adam Sandler soapbox that I just no, I mean, <laughs> got I mean, on there. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm glad you did that because you know he's one of those actors that you're right. Like, he gets easily dismissed, and you know, I mean, we're all kind of guilty of it with him because when you look at movies like you know, uh, That's My Boy, Jack and mm-hmm. Jill, and Grown Ups, it's kind of like, well, sure, like it's nice that he has all these friends and he wants to take them to Hawaii or wherever, yeah. but also like he's not. <laughs> putting out, you know, like, nothing as good as Punch and Glove or The Wedding Singer or Funny People. So it's like, okay, I get it. Like, he has this, like, really great personality. And like, every time that I've read about him on Twitter from people who've met him or interacted with him, 
they say he's like the nicest, sweetest guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I wish that would come out more in his movies, but they do in especially The Wedding Singer, which I think is one of the sweetest romantic comedy mm-hmm. performances from a male actor. And I really can't imagine anyone else but Adam Sandler doing it because he's so such a like warm and like gentle guy, even even in movies where he's like yelling and screaming a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like it comes across how like sweet he is. And I mean that's why his Uncut Gems performance was so effective because it's the opposite of what we know from know from him. And uh yeah, I mean I really I really like The Wedding Singer and I like what you wrote about this movie and that it's sort of about the two types of like masculinity, you know, because you have him uh, Robbie and he's sort of contradicted with Glenn and how they're both very much like the 80s archetypes of guys. And so I was wondering if you could expand more on that, you know, that concept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think in general, it's so much easier to make movies about people that are mean <laughs> yeah. Um, because it just, it, you know, it generates conflict. And I think you, a lot of times you see romantic comedies going to this and like, to be fair, dating all the way back to like, you know, Shakespeare and much ado about nothing. You yeah. can generate a lot of conflict from these two people Battle who like each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the wedding singer, I think the, uh, to me, the wedding singer is just a movie that's like, what if the two nicest people in the world fell in love? And it sounds like that should be so boring, but instead it's so compelling because it really makes you realize how infrequently you actually see this because I think we are really used to those romantic comedies where there's, you know, so much sparky back and forth, Elizabeth, Mr. Darcy, you know, type banter. Um, So yeah, I just think Robbie Hart is such an interesting character because he's just so... In a lot of ways, he fulfills the usual, like, you know, quote unquote girl role in a romantic comedy and that he's very wedding obsessed and love obsessed. He's like a really great emotional caretaker. He's really great at his job, which is sort of cool, but also sort of this like nerdy, embarrassing thing that he does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so he's just such a sweet guy and he starts as such a sweet guy. And then his arc throughout the film is that he gets dumped and sort of like loses himself and the film is about him finding himself again. But I think having him start as this sort of nice idealized version of himself, to me, that's so much more compelling than all of these romantic comedies that start with like, oh, the guy is a loser and a jerk and he's going to learn to be good by the end. That's sort of like, oh, this is a bummer that the woman has to put in so much work to, you know, fix him. But it's nice that Robbie, he does have that sort of fix himself journey, but he start, it's just like he sort of lost himself along the way as opposed to needing to do this 180. So I just find him to be such a compelling male romantic lead. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I, I feel like it makes this movie so much lighter to mm. experience that he's not this sort of like man-child, Judd Apatow type character. Because, like, as much as I enjoy those, you know, like, man-child movies, I, it's kind of like, you know, like, justice for Katherine Heigl. Like, she was right. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's a little hard to watch now in, you know, 2020. But, you know, watching this again, it's like, wow, like, he's, like, a nice guy, like, has, like, people who care about him. And he, like, I mean, the scenes with him and his uh, client, who, like, the grandmother. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't, it's so sweet and it's so, but he's, it's, he's not sweet and like cloying and boring, but like, he's like funny without being sarcastic, like you were saying. And I think that's such a, 
it's such a tricky balancing act because like he there is that like edge to him that like he does go to this dark place in this movie and then it takes Julia Drew Barrymore's character to like bring him back but he also doesn't like project all of his emotional labor onto her yeah in a way that's so refreshing because I feel like that's such an also a very easy you know kind of plot device is to just you know dump for him for him to dump everything on her and then she's stressed but it's just like no there's yeah you're right they're just two nice people who find each other and are you know separated by their own like niceness because she doesn't want to she doesn't want to break up her with her fiance because she feels some loyalty to him and he doesn't want to like intrude on their relationship and they're just like figuring it out so yeah i mean this movie's just so sweet and then you have i mean drew barrymore who's just like cute as a button and just yeah. like so so sweet and like she's another great like romantic comedy actress i mean she's been so good like i mean not like you were saying before we started recording like i did never been kissed last time and even though these are both very like romantic comedies very both nostalgic you know for that one for high school this one for the 80s they're both very different performances mm-hmm. yeah. yeah she's a very good Again, I feel like when you when you sort of like say the things the wedding singer does out loud, you're sort of like, oh, isn't this what all movies do? Like, oh, you have nice people and they fall in love and they're cute. But it's like actually very few movies can do it this well. Like, I think it would be easy for the Julia character to maybe get a little bit lost in the shuffle or to not pop the way she does. But Drew Barrymore, she makes her she's very funny. You know what I mean? She's she herself is funny. Robbie's allowed to find her funny. She has her own sort of independent streak, but. I don't know. She She's a very interesting foil for him, I think. And I think a lot of times a movie would feel compelled to be like, okay, we have this earnest romantic um, male lead. Now let's give him like a cynical, you know, really strong yeah. independent woman. And, and again, we'll get that like oil and water contrast. But instead, she like they really feel so well matched because she's similar. You know, she has the same values of, as he does of sort of they're not very ambitious in the like traditional American sense of like, I need a fancy career and lots of money. They're not ambitious in that way. They're both sort of like happy to have nice family lives and friends and be fulfilled in that way. So they feel really well suited. And I think it's sort of, I don't know, it's very unusual to really just see a movie that are like, these people are so well suited for each other. And like you said, the conflicts between them are mostly stem from them just trying to be really nice and respectful to each other and just being allowed to develop a really nice friendship. Cause when they first meet, they're both dating or engaged to other people. So there's not, they're genuinely meeting on like full friend coworker terms. And then they sort of stay on that way for a while. It really just allows their relationship to develop so sweetly and naturally over the course of the movie. Yeah. I mean, like one thing that I find very compelling is when, you know, a romantic comedy has the two, you know, leads become friends in a sense. And not, I mean, like, of course, when Harriet Sally is my favorite, it's like, that's the mm-hmm. best. But um, not just even like that kind of sense of like their friends were like waiting for them, but just like people who just like want to be near each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, like, you know, you watch a movie like um, How Does a Guy in 10 Days or any, or any of that kind of stuff. And they're just like, at some point, you were wondering, like, why are you even with this person right. except for, you know, the plot? And, like, I so I, I find it really compelling that, you know, Robbie and Julia are just, like, yeah, like you were saying, like, she's allowed to be funny and, and cool and interesting, and he's funny, cool, and interesting, and 
like you know with a with an actor like Adam Sandler whose background is in comedy and an actress like Julie Drew Barrymore who is not really known for comedy but just mm-hmm. is a good actress it's like it would be easy for it to just be like him doing a stand-up riff and her laughing and and there's some of that but there's also just some of her being like hey like I can hold my own against this like comedy star I love there's one scene so a lot of the movie is him helping her plan her wedding because her terrible fiance just decides he doesn't want to help with that at all and there's one scene where they're I forget if it's like a a cake place or wherever they are but the person's complimenting them on being such a nice couple and then they just decide to pretend they're siblings and they both are just they just like lean into that and are so weird with each other and like are punching each other and biting each other and it really shows that they're senses of humor are so much in sync that that is where both of their mind goes it's like let's just be as weird with this as possible and it's so endearing and yeah like you said it really feels like drew barrymore is holding her own like she has that drew barrymore has that like little edge of weirdness to her yeah, i think that really that does. is yeah. like really effective here um and then i also think she's such a great emotional anchor for the more serious parts of the film as well like a really i think this could feel more frothy and weightless if you didn't have her like she just emotes so beautifully and you're like oh god like i don't want this woman's life to be ruined by this horrible guy that she doesn't either doesn't know is horrible or sort of is turning a blind eye to like i think you really feel the stakes of that because she's just such a naturally like earnest empathetic performer in every kind of love triangle like the the third angle of it is always kind of this like obvious jerk unless they're like explicitly not a jerk and like super nice and it's really rare to have romantic comedy like do a love triangle well enough you know like i was thinking like broadcast news is like the best example Mm -hmm. of a love triangle and this one, like, it does play in, you know, that element of, like, of course he's, like, this sort of Miami Vice macho, you know, jerk, alpha guy. And it's a little easy for us to just imagine her being, like, or uh, imagine her dumping him for Robbie, who was, like, a great match for her. But it, it I, in my opinion, it doesn't push it over to the edge where I'm, like, who is this idiot who is, like, being dragged around by, like, this mm-hmm. annoying Glenn guy? So I feel like it, it strikes that balance well. Yeah, I think particularly with, like, it's easy for us as the audience because we see Glenn in these moments where Julia doesn't see him, where he is more overtly being a jerk. Yeah. But I think if you really watch it, just for the scenes they're actually in, I totally agree that the movie layers in enough where he's like, he doesn't really want to get married, but he's like, hey, I know this is important to you, so let's do it and let's have the wedding that you want. So you're like, okay, that seems like the nice and correct thing to say. And even little things where it's like the Robbie and Julia kind of talk about like the little things that matter the most and, you know, giving someone, giving your partner the window seat, if it's a nice view that they haven't seen before. And at one point, Julia asked for the window seat and Glenn actually makes like a, like a relatively strong argument for not giving it to her. Actually, he's like, you're smaller, you're elbows won't get hit by the cart coming by and we'll switch on the way back like he does say things where you're like okay if, if her yeah, yeah. point of view is mostly this you can sort of kind of see how she's yeah. been hooked into this in a way yeah it's kind of like yeah exactly you're kind of like as an audience member like kind of both seeing sort of the objective way of like well he's a jerk in general and not and like also cheating on you and also like a total misogynist but also you can also see, like, from her perspective that, like, you're right, like, he does make these, like, arguments as to, like, why he can't 
be nicer to her. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so tragic at the end when she's in the aisle seat and she keeps getting bumped yeah. by the beverage cart. Like, it's such a like little thing that's so that like means so much because because she's thinking like, well, if Robbie were here, he would happily right. get the like shoulder bruises. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I think that another like theme of this movie is sort of like the sunk cost fallacy of you've been in a relationship for a long time. So I think at some point people can sort of be like, well, I guess this is it. We should just get married. And it's almost like, you know, as much as um, Robbie's fiance, Linda is like a jerk for leaving him at the altar. Like what she says about we've grown up, like we've grown into two different people and we just sort of haven't taken that into consideration. Like that is kind of a true, a truism and a good thing to take in consider into consideration. And it does feel like there's this sense that Glenn and Julia have just been together for a really long time and that they both used to be different people. Cause he said they got together before he made his like money on wall street. So presumably that like really changed his, his life. And so, yeah. you know, it feels like they've been in this long-term relationship. She's more willing to forgive him for all these little things, but there's a great moment where her Julia's cousin, Holly, who's played by Christine Taylor, just doing like an incredible perform, like an unnecessarily incredible performance. Yes, we, have small to, we, have to, we have to talk about She's so Holly good. There's a moment else. where she's, she's sort of talking about why Julia and Glenn are getting married. And she's like, yeah, you love him. And also like the stability. And, and Julia's like, that doesn't matter to me. And Holly just says, well, then why are you marrying him? And there is the sense that it's not just Robbie that sees that something's wrong here. It's like, other people in Julia's life are like, yeah. this is kind of weird, but I'm going to trust her to make the right choice. And I think Julia is just too deep into this relationship to see the problems that have emerged in it. Yeah. And I think that's also very like true to life too, because like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've all been in situations where it's like everyone's seeing it, but you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, my, I think my favorite scene, I think it's like probably one of the more like famous scenes probably, but it's when um Robbie sees her in the window trying on her mm-hmm. wedding dress and he sees her thinking that she's excited to get married to Glenn but she's saying you know Mrs. Julia Hart mm-hmm. and like it's like the perfect romantic comedy scene because it's like two people on the same page but they don't know they're on the same page and then there's also the great joke of Mrs. Julia Gullia. yeah <laughs> And that's such a good Drew Barrymore act. She says it and then just like starts crying. And it's such a funny, but also sad acting choice. It's so, it's such a good scene. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of the best scenes. And and like, to me, like watching it, I'm just like, wow, like this movie is like so romantic. Like, of course it's Mm -hmm. a romantic comedy, but like, even though I like, it's one of my favorites, it's like, it's still an Adam Sandler movie. So it still has those like, um, little like Adam Sandler moments, which we'll get to. I think they're a lot of fun, but like that scene is just like pure romance to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like this is exactly like why I watch these movies. I think one of the really like smart things that the wedding singer does is it lets the 1980s setting like carry all the comedy that I think yeah. a lot of romantic comedies feel. And honestly, I think. Part of the problem with the rom-com genre is that I think When Harry Met Sally is such a perfect movie that everyone else is like, okay, we have to do something different than that. We can't just keep remaking that. And a lot of them go to very, like, heightened premises that can be sort of annoying to watch at times because it feels like you're injecting comedy where it's not needed. But with The Wedding Singer, they're like, okay, let's put all the comedy really, or a lot of it, on the sort of gaudiness of the setting and the ridiculousness of that. And then the romance itself and the relationships can actually just be very sweet and grounded and realistic and that's 
I just think that's such a smart balance. It's not like, oh, you know, all of these, I don't know, the, the rom-coms where there's a bet and there's this and everyone's lying yeah, and everything's yeah. being kept apart for no reason. It's like a very, it's a very realistic thing and a nice thing that Robbie's like, oh, the reason I didn't tell her I loved her is because she seemed so happy and I didn't want to blow up her life. Like, what a lovely yeah. <laughs> reason for him to keep that to himself. Yeah, and it kind of keeps away the sort of, like, third act fight, you know, where they're, like, yeah. you know, there, there's a little bit of that, but it's not so much, like, he has, like, he's lying to her, and, like, then he only will tell her when it's 85 minutes in. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I do want to talk about the 80s part of it, because aside from this, like, amazing soundtrack and, like, the great costumes, like, I kind of like that this movie is, like, set in, like, the 80s as a concept versus, yeah. <laughs> like, a specific year, because it allows for all these, like, somewhat anachronistic, you know, jokes and lines and songs and costume. And then, like, I was reading, like, some review of it, and I can't remember, like, where I was reading it, but, it, it, like, that, that critic um, was um, saying that as, like, a criticism. It's like, you know, this movie just, like, is so... Um, it's so general about the eighties that like there's no like specificity to mm-hmm. it. But I'm like, it's kind of more fun to just kind of throw all this and like and just make it as you were saying, like make this like the comedy part of it and use like the songs of the eighties to tell the story, not just like be tied down to a specific year. I think it probably helps I think that's actually probably something that's aged better with the movie too, because it was released. You know, it was released late 90s. It wasn't that long from the 80s. And I think yeah. there were, you know, the the specifics of each year of the 80s were probably more in people's minds. And I think as we move away from that time, it's like, yeah, OK, that stuff was all happening at the same time. Sure, we'll we'll accept that. But I do think it's it does lean into the comedy so hard with the broadness that for me, at least I'm willing to go along with that, especially because the upside is that then we get the sweetness and groundedness yeah. of the relationships. And it's also nice because, like, it lets the, like, supporting cast really stand out because they're mm-hmm. so extremely... <laughs> Ridiculous, yeah. Um, I mean, of course, we have Christine Taylor. Um, and, like, yeah, you said in your um, in your article about this movie that, like, her performance is, like, uh, like so good that it, like, does not even need to be this good because she's yeah. really just, like, there to, like, be in scenes. And it's, like, such a, like, it's another... Um, it's another, like, attribute to this movie that, like, she gets the room to, like, be funny and be, like, sort of, like, kind of kooky character because, like, the movie wants her to be that and it wants her to, like, stand out even though she, on paper, has, like, nothing to do. And there's really, like, her relationship with Julia is not super fleshed out on the page, but they, the movie does a really good job of actually making them seem like... Friend, like good healthy friends and their yeah. cousins cousins and friends um like there's a moment where she's like can i ask out robbie like would that be weird and julia hesitates and she's like listen if it's weird i won't do it and it feels very genuine she doesn't play it as like a manipulation or anything or like when julia gets too drunk when they go out on a double date holly like immediately goes to take care of her there's all these little nice moments that i think yeah. You know, the stereotypical rom-com best friend does not always seem like that great of a friend sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, they actually really make their dynamic feel, like, very, very sweet. And care- again, it's just because everyone in this movie is so nice. Like, it, it's just, I don't know, I just love watching all those little nice beats that Drew Barrymore and Christine Taylor find together. 
Another thing you, like, said, like, just about, like, female friendships in romantic comedies, I also feel like this movie has a lot of really good female characters, which mm-hmm. also is rare, consi- rare, which is surprising, considering women are usually the target demo for this kind of movie, but, um, like, you know, you, you have these two, you have, you know, the old lady, I mean, even yeah. Linda, the ex-fiance, like, she's not, like... She doesn't she's not like a thing. villain. She's not a villain, right. But she's yeah. empathetically written and like you can see that like she's like trying to like figure out her own life. And so yeah, I mean I'd, I I really I really appreciated that about this movie this time around. Yeah, um, I really love the Rosie, the the old lady that Robbie tutors. It's just yeah. so like that is a character and I think if you just watch the trailers for this movie, which will highlight like, you know, her like I don't know, the more egregious thing she says and like the part where she raps, you really you're yeah. like, oh, I know what this character is and I hate this. Like it's easy to think that that's what she is, but actually those little like you know, crazy old lady moments are are more few and far between and she is also allowed to have that same sweetness and her relationship with Robbie yeah. is really like like there are things there are times where she'll say something and he'll be like, "Whoa, I don't want to hear that from you." Like she'll talk about her sex life when she was younger and he's like, "Oh, I don't yeah. want to hear that." But even when he's saying, "I don't want to hear that," it's in a very like sweet and he's laughing at it way. It's not like, "Ooh, you're a gross old lady." Like even yeah. that little dynamic is so um has so much sweetness to it and I think she's a she is a more interesting character than I think if you just watched the trailers for this movie you would right. expect. Yeah, her. like she, she yeah, she comes across as just like kind of a one joke like mm-hmm. like, you know, Betty White kind of stereotype. Yes, yes, exactly. But, you know, like uh I always think of Betty White in the proposal as like yes. kind of a more egregious example of this. Um but yeah, and then there's also um, Alan Covert as Sam. I think he's also like a really mm-hmm. fun, fun character, and like Jess is like nice. It, it's he's kind of like the like sweeter version of like Glenn, and that he has that like kind of like eighties thing going. Yeah. But like he's not as like horrible. Yeah, the I will say so the musical, which again I love. If you ever have like a community theater around you doing it, I would highly recommend listeners yeah, that sure. you go. Yeah. You go check it out because it's so delightful. But in the in the musical and the movie, like ever so slightly hints at this, but it has him get together with Holly, which a lot of times musical adaptations of movies will take some random side characters and pair them up. Yeah, and I yeah. actually think both of those characters are even a little bit more fleshed out in the musical. So I sort of like retroactively give them <laughs> those characterizations <laughs> in the movie. Um, but yeah, he's a fun character, and I again, there's just. I don't know. There's a part where where Julia and Robbie are making him test out his limo driving skills, which I find oh, yeah. very. And he hits all these combs, and Robbie says, "Those could have been guests at her wedding." And he just says, <laughs> "They were combs." <laughs> like a random, I don't know, just one of those movies where every little line delivery yeah. is so funny and interesting that I think yeah. a lot of into rom coms in like the late 2000s, and it just felt like people wouldn't have been putting this much effort into giving these you know small characters so much personality and it's lovely how much the wedding singer does that yeah i mean it's it's been fascinating to look at like romantic comedies from you know the 80s and 90s to the like 2000s and just like there's a vast difference just like between the two between like the decades and it's just yeah i mean like a character like that would just not be so like colorful in like a 2007 i mean or or they'd be some like comedian who just gets to like improv mm-hmm. for yeah. You know, like 10 minutes or whatever. Kind of just wanted to be a songwriter, you know? I think that's the hardest thing to write a song. A song that, uh, 
You know, when people hear it, they go, whoa, I know what that guy was feeling when he wrote that. Have you written anything lately? Yeah, I guess. Will you play it for me? You don't want to hear it. It's not good. No, I'm sure it is. It's just I wrote half of it when I was with Linda, and I wrote the other half after we broke up, so it's a little uneven, you know? I don't mind. I'd like to hear it. Okay, I just want to warn you that uh, when I wrote this song, I was listening to The Cure a lot, so... Okay. Here we go. You don't know how much I need you Somebody Kill Me sequence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just all, both the songs that Adam Sandler just sings, like, yeah. genuinely as the wedding singer are lovely. And then the comedic songs, and then eventually the end romantic song. They're all yeah. just great. Like, it really showcases, hey, you would, I would happily just sit and watch Adam Sandler sing, like, standards. Yeah, And then, of right, course, exactly. it's so funny to watch him do uh, this and, like, absolutely the, insane um, performance. For some reason, the reason why, like, Somebody Killed Me always sticks out to me is Drew Barrymore's reaction at the end. Yeah. She's just so, like, um, just so, like, here for it. And she's like, great, you know, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's so, it's such a good use of, you know, I think Adam Sandler, who's very famous for doing these, like, funny songs on SNL by this point, And it's such a good use of it. Like, it is... Yeah. Very funny, but it also is communicating like what a dark <laughs> place he is in. <laughs> but his also his own self awareness. Like he, you know, he introduces a song and he's sort of like, this is dark and bad. <laughs> and then he does fully perform it. It's just a good, I don't know, it's a good example of Robbie being able to lean into these Adam Sandlerisms while still yeah. being like his yeah. own real character. So, I mean, we do have to touch upon uh, George, played by the late mm-hmm. Alexis Arquette, because it's kind of the 
I just remember even as a kid being like, I'm not sure what to think about this. And like, yeah. This like long before I knew like what was actually on screen, but like even now, especially now, it's kind of like it's hard to kind of you know to unpack it because like yeah. not only is it a movie from 20 years ago, but it's taking place you know 30 years ago or whatever. So. It's like there's a lot, a lot going on there, but you know, I would love to pick your brain on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So this is the character of George, who is basically just like a boy. I mean, basically just functions in this world as once seemingly George, the character, wants to function in this world as boy George, who also yeah. presumably exists in this world. I think uh, this was something that I really, in writing the column, I was like, okay, what you know. It's just it is like you said, it's a thorny and tricky thing to wrestle with. I think you can you can see that the movie has the movie likes George as a character. I don't think this movie is like George is bad and we just want to laugh at them. I don't know what pronouns to use for the character. But um, so I don't think it's mean spirited. But that being said, something could not be mean spirited in intent and still have negative ramifications. And I think this was a real era of like we'll take sort of an LGBTQ character and sort of like both like them and laugh at them at the same time. Like I think something like Will and Grace would do this a lot, particularly with like Jack as a character. So to me, George sort of falls into that category of like, I I think the movie is on George's side, but the movie also does sort of expect us to inherently laugh at George. Yeah. So it's not, like the mean spirit, I can appreciate the lack of mean spirited intent, but I don't think that makes up for the lack of, you know, nuance or a light touch and how this is handled. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, it's always just seems like tricky to me, you know, the character like that, because yeah. like I, I try to like transport myself back to, you know, 1998 and, be like, okay, if I were seeing this movie, like, opening night, like, and the camera cuts to George, would I just laugh? Because mm-hmm. it's, like, obviously, you know, a seemingly cisgender man, you know, in feminine clothes. And I, I when I was thinking about that, I was like, I think I would have, mm-hmm. not, I mean, maybe not me personally, but maybe me personally, who knows? Well, but that like, would be the expected then, reaction. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I, yeah, I think, like, when you say, like, it's, the character is supposed to be inherently funny just because, like, they exist. And I think that really, like, hits a chord. And to me, that sort of represents the, like, more down, downbeaten parts of mm-hmm. um, Adam Sandler's kind of sure. com- like comedy style. Like, you know, I mean, Jack and Jill is pretty much that entire yeah yeah for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. So it's it's tricky. I mean, it's kind of like... You're right in that, like, I don't think I'm supposed to, like, laugh at George, like, because, you know, like, the movie wants to poke fun at them, but I also feel like, uh, yeah, it's not, it it doesn't sit well these days, Um, especially knowing, you know, Alexis Arquette's kind of sad history. Yeah. Um, But... I do think she is great in the performance. Like, Like, she totally gets what you know, it's going for, and the real boy George was a huge fan of this performance, which I think is sweet. Um, that, that at least was of this tricky, maybe not good 
you know, element of this film that yeah, there maybe was yeah. a nice real life connection made there. Like it's kind of like, n- like n- I don't think any real harm came from it. So it's kind of like, I kind of want to give it somewhat of a pass, but like, mm-hmm. I also think that like, also, you know, like who knows like what kind of influence this had on like, you know, re- everyday audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like boy, George, you know, can enjoy the performance because it's a tribute to him. Right. 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 <laughs> but, yeah, and, like, but that's different and than that's being great. a kid watching. Yeah, this. exactly. I think one of the scenes that sums up the, like, tension of the George character, there's a scene where they go shopping for Julia's wedding dress, and a bunch of people try on dresses, and everyone is like, we don't like this one, we don't like this one, we don't like this one. George comes out out in one, which I think is supposed to be, like, funny that George is wearing a dress, but then at the same time, that is, like, the dress that they all like best, and they clap that George chose well, which I think is the tension, right? It's like, we're supposed to like this, and we're supposed to laugh at it, which at the time might have felt progressive, but obviously today does not, you know, feels very regressive. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's such an interesting thing to, I don't know, try to parse. Yeah, and, like, the fact that, like, I, that, like, it's not a perfect thing, I, like, I don't want to, like, drag it for not being perfect you know 25 years later or whatever you know what i mean so it's kind of like yeah it's it's definitely uh a a part of this movie's legacy but i don't think one that like tarnishes it Mm -hmm. Um, like yeah i i I mean i appreciate that like yeah it's i appreciate that it was trying to be progressive and i think it was mostly successful except in these sort of like nuances that we kind of know now totally you know yeah yeah i would definitely not say it's a highlight no. <laughs> of the film and is one of those things that I think is, you know, not infrequently in the romantic comedy genre. There are, there are oftentimes many things, whether about, you know, queer representation or elsewhere, that it's like, yeah, these, these, there are very regressive ideas within this genre. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just good to be like, well, at least what I try to do with the column is be like, these things exist. Here's the context for them. A lot of times they do active damage, even if, people don't mean to and that's just the reality you know and sometimes there's not like a summation this is good this is bad you know this ruins this thing this doesn't it's just like here's how it exists and we'll wrestle we'll just treat the past you know be honest about how it was i did want to talk to you a little about you know your column because you know you do do a lot of you know really thorough research and bring in a lot of context and even bring up things that like you make connections and stuff that even I have like haven't thought about or, or put together. Even watching, I mean, a lot of the movies you've covered are ones that I've seen so many times. And um, I wanted to ask you like what you know what the process is and like was and, like pitching the column and you know if, if you had any kind of pushback on like well nobody really cares about romantic comedies that much to like read you know a bi-weekly column about it. I would say that the 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 pushback was me not thinking to do this idea okay. <laughs> for a very long time. I So right out of college, before I had any, like, you know, I, I went to school for theater, and so I was thinking I was going to do that at the time. But just for a creative outlet, I started writing basically a similar thing to this column where I was just analyzing romantic comedies one movie at a time. Then I started writing professionally, and somehow for, like, five years, it never occurred to me to take that idea that I had already been doing and try to pitch it somewhere where I could get paid for it. Um, So when I finally did, AV Club was super receptive to it. They have a couple um, other columns running that are about, like, action movies or superhero movies. So this felt like a nice sort of balance to that. Um, so yeah, they were super receptive and then it was really just a matter of me. I feel like it, 
so I'm heading into my third year of doing the column. And I really feel like the first year was very much a experiment in me figuring out what I wanted to do with it, when I wanted my voice to be in that column. But I feel like now I'm like, okay, I have a, I have a better sense of what I'm trying to do here. Um, so yeah, no, everybody there has been, has been super supportive. And actually I will say that the commenters have been like so supportive and nice. Like I actually just, you know, I feel like people that comment on the internet get a bad rap, but I don't know. Shout out to the AV club commenters for being like very nice and receptive to the column. Yeah. I mean, I go through the comments for your, for the articles as well. And I'm most surprised. And there's a little bit of people who are like, this movie's bad. Like why write about it? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, and I don't know if you've read it, but like, but yeah, I mean, for in, in general, a lot of people like have like really good, um, observations and, and, and stories about these movies. So what's your research process like? Yeah, so I usually start by watching the movie once, obviously. <laughs> Sometimes I'm doing a movie. Yeah, I do. I do. Surprisingly, I do watch these movies. Sometimes I'm doing a movie like The Wedding Singer, where I have seen it a million times, yeah. and I basically haven't memorized. A lot of times I'm doing a movie I've never seen before, or maybe have just seen once. So it kind of depends then. Um, but I, so usually I watch it once just to, you know, get it back in my head. Then I usually do about like a full day's worth of research, which mainly in like, I'll just Google wedding singer, wedding singer retrospectives. A lot of times if they've been out for 20 plus years, it's great to just Google like wedding singer 20th anniversary and a lot of other retrospective pieces pop up. So I try to find like just factual information about how the film was made. Then I try to read other people's opinion, like what other writing is out there about the film. And I guess I sort of see my column as like, I want to, you know, factually inform people facts about the film. I want to at least try to synthesize other people's thoughts on it and then obviously share my, you know, mm -hmm. perspective on it too. So I do try to, I do feel like I try to synthesize as much information as possible into a hopefully not too long piece and then usually take a couple days to write it and then um, goes through editing. Sometimes I get you know, notes back and I do edit. Sometimes it just sort of, it's just little copy editing things. So yeah, usually it's like a somewhat involved process, probably mostly because I'm just a weird perfectionist and feel compelled to try to read everything that's been written about a film and yeah. synthesize it all. Um, so yeah, I'm just working right now on the, um, my piece about you've got mail. So I just watched that one for the oh, second yeah. time. And yeah, it's always interesting to see because I usually watch it, do some research, and then I watch it again. And I'm always interested if I sometimes I like it more on the second viewing, sometimes I like it less. Like it's always that's always telling to me how yeah. my views have changed based on what I've read about it or just you know watching it twice in such a short amount of time. And what's your uh, like process for like picking the movies? Just kind of like whatever strikes your mm -hmm. fancy, or do you just like? I mean, sometimes I know you try to time it with kind of a current release, but yeah. in general. Yeah, so usually, so this was a time where I think the first year of the column, it was each week I was like, well, what do I want to cover next? And yeah. got a little, I think after that, I got a little more focused about being, okay, let's think about that as a year slate. And I really want to cover, I want to cover a diversity of films in terms of like literally racial diversity or LGBT diversity, but also in terms of um, diversity of like decades. So I want to try to make it a mix of all different eras, um, like a mix of male protagonists, female protagonists. So I just try to make it like if you read, if you read all like 25 columns in a year or whatever, that you've gotten a really diverse, different look at all the elements, you know, the components of the rom-com genre. 
so I sort of plan it out for the year and I try to think, are there any, um, anniversaries that are coming up? Are there any, you know, sequels that are coming out or direct tie-ins? Yeah. Um, things like that. And then we'll just be like, okay, here's the movies I want to cover. Where can I slot them in? And sometimes my editor will say, Hey, I'd love if you cover this movie. And so I'm pretty flexible on it in general. I like loosely have it mapped out for 2020, but I'm sure things will change as I go along. So I try to be relatively flexible on it. And, but there's just so many movies, like even writing out my list for this year, it's like, oh, no, but I haven't covered this one yet, and I need to cover this yeah, one. And there's yeah. just so many out there. Yeah, I mean, like, one benefit doing the podcast the way that I do is making other people pick. <laughs> so yeah. that, like, <laughs> That's smart. I can, you I can let them pick, and then I, I like, no work to do it myself there. But, I mean, there are times when I'm like, man, I would really love to do a podcast on this one movie, and I'm just, like, waiting for someone to pick it. Yeah, to pick it. <laughs> Um, and like, th- like that's why I did like when Harry met Sally as like my choice. I'm uh-huh. like, I don't. I was like, I need to make sure that like the person I get for this movie is a good guest. Well, actually, like, oh. like the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I and I do try to be. Sometimes there's a you know a rom com that I just really hate, and I'm more than happy to say I really hate it. But I in general, my philosophy is to try to say like, what is this movie trying to do? Why do people like this movie? Because usually, you know, every rom com has its yeah. fans. And then sort of share my opinion on it. But I try to at least be like, here's what people that like this movie are getting from it, even if that's not exactly what I personally am yeah, getting. Yeah. It. No, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like for me, like, um, I, you know, I, I like this podcast to be like critical, but not like snarky. So like mm-hmm. if there's a movie that like someone picks that I don't like, I try to do exactly what you do. And, you know, find, you know, the, like, the reasons why it clicks for them and why it doesn't click for me. Is, that, is there a movie that you are just, like, or do you have, like, a list of movies that you will absolutely never write about because you just don't want to even watch them again or think about them? So, to be told, the one element, the one, like, big blind spot of the column so far has just been the entirety of Woody Allen's oeuvre, just yeah. because I've thought I, not that I'm opposed to writing about it ever, but it's, just when I think about what do you want to spend a week writing about, trying to figure out how to way to write about a film and, you know, Woody Allen's yeah. entire life just feels like it's kind of much. a nightmare. So yeah. because I have the flexibility of just, you know, being able to choose what I want so far, I have steered away from that. I feel like at some point I'll have to figure out a way to write about it. But, you know, it just has not been... <laughs> The first thing that has come to mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, you know know. what? There's there's more Hugh Grant rom-coms I can write about. Yeah, if you do do Woody Allen, you kind of have to do, like, Annie Hall or Manhattan. It's like, those are just, like... I mean, I've done Annie Hall on this podcast, um, but I, like, after that, I was like, okay, no more Woody Allen. Yeah. It's just, either you ignore it, and then you run the risk of ignoring it, or you go into it, and it just, like, brings down the whole... Yeah. Yeah, it is tricky. And I will say, too... So sometimes there are, you know, I think a movie like Annie Hall is, there's a lot of like, that's a very respected movie within, you know, serious film criticisms. And I'm happy to write about those movies too, like writing about the Philadelphia story or something that's really well respected. But I also like being like, hey, what's the value of Bride Wars? Like, is there a value? I sort of like taking these movies that I think don't get taken seriously very often and sort of delving into those. So I do feel like to some extent, you know, Woody Allen has been covered so much elsewhere. Sort of like, I don't know, taking a movie like The Wedding Singer that maybe people are not thinking about as deeply and and sort of digging into what's there. That's sort of like, I feel like that's a fun niche to work in. 
Yeah. Well, it was your column on Breakfast at Tiffany's that mm-hmm. um, highlighted the male glance from uh, Louis Loughborough. Mm-hmm. And like that, like that column, like changed the way I look at movies so much. And, like mm-hmm. I read, I read her writing on it, and it's just like. And so um, every time that you do a movie like Bride Wars or something borrowed, I'm like, wow, like, like you just don't like you never think about it because like those movies kind of come and go and they're kind of derided and even like the people who quote unquote like them kind of like like them in like an ironic thing. Of, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just a, it's a chick flick that I put on and then that's it. And like that, you actually like dig deep into these movies and look at the context of like social, like social context and the like production context is just like, it's like I said, I'm not just saying this just to like, you know, um, like toot your horn, but like, I really (laughs) appreciate the column because you really talk about movies that I love and, and find ways to like find them to make them like totally relevant to like what's, what's going on with like the culture these days. So yeah, I really enjoy the column and I hope. I hope you enjoy writing it because it's a total blast to read. Thank you. That's really nice. I do really enjoy writing it. They are quite a lot of work. So I always, <laughs> when people say that they appreciate them, I always very much appreciate that because I'm like, good. I'm glad that all of this, this time I sunk into them paid off in that regard. Um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting, I don't know, sort of challenge to think about these things yeah. in a serious way. Because you think about, you know, make, getting a movie made, that's no easy feat. Even even a, you know, a dumb comedy, a lot of work went into that. And it's sort of interesting to, you know, even not within the romantic comedy, just in movies in yeah. general, it's sort of interesting to think about, take seriously something that at some point, you know, somewhat people were taking very seriously when they were making it to some degree. Yeah, it's just sort of yeah, interesting yeah. to think about yeah. that type of not like the opposite of an Oscar movie a lot of the times. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of glad that like romantic comedies are kind of coming back. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was reading that like a romantic comedy at Sundance was like the biggest sale there, and I was like, yeah. Great. I hope I hope it comes out in like a good time and like makes a lot of money because I really hope that you know we can get more of these that are actually like really good and, and interesting and exciting to watch. Yeah, I do think that was probably helpful for the timing of the column, too, that it felt like kind of like 2018 in particular, which yeah. was like the Crazy Rich Asians year and the year of all those Netflix yeah, rom-coms. Yeah, like 12 that Boys of, and stuff. Yeah, that sort of felt like a turning point where people were like, hey, it's okay to like these things. So I think the column, like I was lucky that there was that that swing in the culture that I think I was able to ride that wave and, you know, hopefully tap into it and contribute it to it as well. Yeah. So do you have any final thoughts on like the wedding singer or romantic comedies in general or film in general? Anything? <laughs> well, can we just talk about the last scene of the wedding oh, singer? Oh, the sure. Yeah, on the airplane, yeah. <laughs> which I think is one of the best. Like, I think this is like a top five romantic comedy ending. It's like up there with one, one Harry Met Sally. It's up there with my best friend's wedding. It's just like this perfect romantic moment that I, I just think it's beautifully done. Like watching that, like genuinely the filmmaking of this, this final thing of Robbie singing to Julia on the plane, the way you hear the song over the intercom. And it's just a really long, like an extended shot of just Drew Barrymore's face. And just, I mean, just like she is giving you so much emotion when they finally open up the curtain and Robbie comes out, there's sort of this little, little like chime in the music that times to that, just the, like the physical blocking of how they get Glenn out of the scene in this comedic way involving Billy Idol, but don't break the sort of like 
romance between Ravi and Julia. I just think it's so well done. And that song is so lovely. And I just love, I mean, that scene, I just love it so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, rated comedy endings are, like, so hard to do, in my opinion, because you <laughs> have to have that, like, that, that the balance of, like, romance and make it kind of, like, funny and engaging and not too sweet where you're, like, don't want to watch it. And, like, the, um, the, yeah, the song is, it's, it's like, um, it's like we were saying with the whole movie, right? Like, the actual romance is very grounded and sweet and lived in. And, like, sort of everything around it is so, like, wacky and goofy that it makes this, like, really beautiful, like, blend together. And um, I feel like this ending is perfect because you have, like, this sweet love song from Adam Sandler. You have Drew Barrymore, like, really holding it together with her reaction. Yeah, it's truly. It's a harder job than most people would think because you think, oh, she's just, like, smiling and whatever. But it's she's really just, like, making you believe it. Yeah. And everything around them is just so funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. It's so great. It's, yeah, it's like the really the perfect ending. And I mean, I never really thought of it as like one of the best romantic comedy endings, but like, I mean, you've convinced me. I now <laughs> think it's one of the best. <laughs> it's just, and the song is just so lovely. Like, what a, yeah. you know, it's just all these little simple things of like, I'll do the dishes for you and, you know, take care of you when you had too much to drink. And it's just yeah. like such a sweet, low key. It's not like fairy tales and, you know, jewelry and roses and all these things it's just like a very realistic yeah. and lovely and low-key and just such i mean this is just like peak adam sandler like you know he's great in ever in in many other like high profile quote-unquote serious movies but i feel like he will never top <laughs> this ending of the wedding singer no probably not I mean, I would love to see him work with Drew Barrymore again. I know that they kind of had diminishing returns with, like, 51st mm-hmm. Dates. I mean, 51st Dates I like as a concept, and I think he got he got too much Adam Sandler-ish in it, you know? But mm-hmm. uh, Blended, I think, is, like, a disaster. But, like, I yeah. wish they would come back come back together because I think they make a really nice pair. And I think yeah. Now, in this part of their careers, when they're sort of, like, post-movie star, but, like, you know, things, like, really get interesting... I think it'd be a lot of fun to see them together. Well, I think he just got like another four movie contract with Netflix. So your wish might be (laughs) coming true if they need to think of more, more content. Yeah. I'll make sure to add Netflix and make it happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's a great place. And Caroline, where can people find you online these days? Yeah. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita. And then as we've talked about, you can read my column on romance met comedy over on the AV club. Yes, and thank you so much for coming and doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at themanish89 and uh, talkfromsociety.com where you can read my writing. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to the past year. It's been a great, been a great run, and I hope to continue this for a while now. I'll miss you Kiss you, give you my coat when you are cold. Need you, feed you, even let you hold the remote control. So let me do the dishes in our kitchen sink. Put you to bed when you've had too much to drink. Oh, I could be the man. Who grows old with you I'll miss you Kiss you Take your shoes off and
need you And when we play checkers I'll let you cheat So let me do the dishes in our kitchen sink Put you to bed when you've had too much to drink Oh, I could be the one who grows old with you I wanna grow 